Chapter Two, Part One of the Prairie Traveller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prairie Traveller by Randolph B. Marcy. Chapter Two, Part One. Marching. Treatment of animals. Water. Different methods of finding and purifying it. Jornadas. Methods of crossing them. Advance and rear guards. Marching. The success of a long expedition through an unpopulated country depends mainly on the care taken of the animals, and the manner in which they are driven, herded, and guarded. If they are broken down or lost, everything must be sacrificed, and the party becomes perfectly helpless. The great error into which inexperienced travellers are liable to fall, and which probably occasions more suffering and disaster than almost anything else, lies in overworking their cattle at the commencement of the journey, to obviate this, short and easy drives should be made until the teams become habituated to their work, and gradually inured to this particular method of travelling. If animals are overloaded and overworked when they first start out into the prairies, especially if they have recently been taken from grain, they soon fall away and give out before reaching the end of the journey. Grass and water are abundant and good upon the eastern portions of all the different overland routes. Animals should not, therefore, with proper care, fall away in the least before reaching the mountains, as west of them are long stretches where grass and water are scarce, and it requires the full amount of strength and vigor of animals in good condition to endure the fatigues and the hard labor attendant upon the passage of these deserts. Drivers should be closely watched, and never, unless absolutely necessary, permitted to beat their animals, or to force them out of a walk, as this will soon break down the best teams. Those teamsters who make the least use of the whip invariably keep their animals in the best condition. Unless the drivers are checked at the outset, they are very apt to fall into the habit of flogging their teams. It is not only wholly unnecessary, but cruel, and should never be tolerated. In traveling with ox teams in the summer season, great benefit will be derived from making early marches, starting with the dawn and making a nooning during the heat of the day, as oxen suffer much from the heat of the sun in midsummer. These noon halts should, if possible, be so arranged as to be near grass and water, where the animals can improve their time in grazing. When it gets cool, they may be hitched to the wagon again, and the journey continued in the afternoon. Sixteen or eighteen miles a day may thus be made without injury to the beasts, and longer drives can never be expedient, unless in order to reach grass or water. When the requisites for encamping cannot be found at the desired intervals, it is better for the animals to make a very long drive than to encamp without water or grass. The noon halt in such cases may be made without water, and the evening drive lengthened. Water the scarcity of water upon some of the routes across the plains occasionally exposes the traveller to intense suffering, and it renders it a matter of much importance for him to learn the best methods of guarding against the disasters liable to occur to men and animals in the absence of this most necessary element. In mountainous districts, water can generally be found either in springs, the dry beds of streams, or in holes in the rocks, where they are sheltered from rapid evaporation. For example, in the Waco tanks, thirty miles east of El Paso, New Mexico, upon the Fort Smith Road, where there is an immense reservoir in a cave, water can always be found. This reservoir receives the drainage of a mountain. During a season of the year when there are occasional showers, water will generally be found in low places, where there is a substratum of clay. But after the dry season has set in, these pools evaporate, and it is necessary to dig wells. The lowest spot should be selected for this purpose, when the grass is green and the surface earth moist. In searching for water along the dry sandy beds of streams, it is well to try the earth with a stick or ramrod, and if this indicates moisture, water will generally be obtained by excavation. Streams often sink in light and porous sand, and sometimes make their appearance again lower down, where the bed is more tenacious, 
but it is a rule with prairie travellers in searching for water in a sandy country to ascend the streams and the nearer their sources are approached the more water will be found in a dry season where it becomes necessary to sink a well in a stream the bed of which is quicksand a flour barrel perforated with small holes should be used as a curb to prevent the sand from caving in the barrel must be forced down as the sand is removed and when as is often the case there is an undercurrent through the sand the well will be continually filled with water there are many indications of water known to old campaigners although none of them are absolutely infallible the most certain of them are deep green cottonwood or willow trees growing in depressed localities also flags water rushes tall green grass etc the fresh tracks and trails of animals converging toward a common centre and the flight of birds and waterfowl towards the same point will also lead to water in a section frequented by deer or mustangs it may be certain that water is not far distant as these animals drink daily and they will not remain long in a locality after the water has dried up deer generally go to water during the middle of the day but birds towards evening a supply of drinking water may be obtained during a shower from the drippings of a tent or by suspending a cloth or blanket by the four corners and hanging a small weight to the centre so as to allow all the rain to run toward one point from whence it drops into a vessel beneath india rubber gutta-percha or painted canvas cloths answer a very good purpose for catching water during a rain but they should be previously well washed to prevent them from imparting a bad taste when there are heavy dews water may be collected by spreading out a blanket with a stick attached to one end tying a rope to it dragging it over the grass and wringing out the water as it accumulates in some parts of australia this method is practised in traversing the country upon the headwaters of red river during the summer of eighteen fifty two we suffered most severely from thirst having nothing but the acrid and bitter waters from the river which issuing from a gypsum formation was highly charged with salts and when taken into the stomach did not quench thirst in the slightest degree but on the contrary produced a most painful and burning sensation accompanied with diarrhoea during the four days that we were compelled to drink this water the thermometer rose to one hundred and four in the shade and the only relief we found was from bathing in the river the use of water is a matter of habit very much within our control as by practice we may discipline ourselves so as to require but a small amount some persons for example who place no restraint upon their appetites will if they can get it drink water twenty times a day while others will not perhaps drink more than once or twice during the same time i have found a very effectual preventive to thirst by drinking a large quantity of water before breakfast and on feeling thirsty on the march chewing a small green twig or leaf water taken from stagnant pools charged with putrid vegetable matter and animalculae would be very likely to generate fevers and dysenteries if taken into the stomach without purification it should therefore be thoroughly boiled and all the scum removed from the surface as it rises this clarifies it and by mixing powdered charcoal with it the disinfecting process is perfected water may also be purified by placing a piece of alum in the end of a stick that has been split and stirring it around in a bucket of water charcoal and the leaves of the prickly pear are also used for the same purpose i have recently seen a compact and portable filter made of charcoal which clarifies the water very effectually and draws it off in the siphon principle it can be obtained at eighty five west street new york for one dollar and a half water may be partially filtered in a muddy pond by taking a barrel and boring the lower half full of holes then filling it up with grass or moss above the upper holes after which it is placed in the pond with the top above the surface the water filters through the grass or moss and rises in the barrel to a level with the pond travellers frequently drink muddy water by placing a cloth or handkerchief 
over the mouth of a cup to catch the larger particles of dirt and animalculae. Water may be cooled so as to be quite palatable by wrapping cloths around the vessels containing it, wetting them, and hanging them in the air, where a rapid evaporation will be produced. Some of the frontiermen used a leathern sack for carrying water. This is porous and allows the necessary evaporation without wetting. The Arabs also use a leathern bottle, which they call zemsemya. When they are en route, they hang it on the shady side of a camel, where the evaporation keeps the water continually cool. No expedition should ever set out into the plains without being supplied with the means for carrying water, especially in an unknown region. If wooden kegs are used, they must frequently be looked after and soaked in order that they may not shrink and fall to pieces. Men, in marching in a hot climate, throw off a great amount of perspiration from the skin and require a corresponding quantity of water to supply the deficiency, and unless they get this, they suffer greatly. When a party makes an expedition into a desert section, where there is a probability of finding no water, and intend to return over the same track, it is well to carry water as far as convenient and bury it in the ground for use on the return trip. Captain Sturt, when he explored Australia, took a tank in his cart which burst, and besides that he carried casks of water. By these he was enabled to face a desert country with a success which no traveller had ever attained to. For instance, when returning homeward, the water was found to be drying up from the country on all sides of him. He was at a pool, and the next stage was 118 miles, at the end of which it was doubtful if there remained any water. It was necessary to send to reconnoitre, and to furnish the messenger with means of returning should the pool be found dry. He killed a bullock, skinned it, and by filling the skin with water, which held 150 gallons, sent it by an ox, dray, 30 miles, with orders to bury it and to return. Shortly after, he dispatched a light one-horse cart carrying 36 gallons of water. The horse and man were to drink at the hide and go on. Thus they had 36 gallons to supply them for a journey of 176 miles, or six days at 30 miles a day, at the close of which they would return to the ox-hide, sleeping, in fact, five nights on 36 gallons of water. This a hardy, well-driven horse could do, even in the hottest climate. From F. Galton's Art of Travel, page 17 and 18. Jornadas. In some localities, fifty or sixty miles and even greater distances are frequently traversed without water. These long stretches are called by the Mexicans jornadas, or day's journeys. There is one in New Mexico called Jornada del Muerto, which is seventy-eight and a half miles in length, where, in a dry season, there is not a drop of water. Yet with proper care this drive can be made with ox or mule teams, and without loss or injury to the animals. On arriving at the last camping ground before entering upon the jornada, all the animals should be as well rested and refreshed as possible. To ensure this, they must be turned out upon the best grass that can be found, and allowed to eat and drink as much as they desire during the entire halt. Should the weather be very warm and the teams composed of oxen, the march should not be resumed until it begins to cool in the afternoon. They should be carefully watered just previous to being hitched up and started out upon the jornada, the water kegs having been previously filled. The drive is then commenced and continued during the entire night, with ten or fifteen minutes rest every two hours. About daylight a halt should be made, and the animals immediately turned out to graze for two hours, during which time, especially if there is dew upon the grass, they will have become considerably refreshed, and may be put to the wagons again and driven until the heat becomes oppressive toward noon, when they are again turned out upon a spot where the grass is good, and, if possible, where there are shade trees. About four o'clock p.m. they are again started, and the march continued into the night, and as long as they can be driven without suffering. 
if however there should be dew which is seldom the case on the plains it would be well to turn out the animals several times during the second night and by morning if they are in good condition the jornada of seventy or eighty miles will have been passed without any great amount of suffering i am supposing in this case that the road is firm and free from sand many persons have been under the impression that animals in traversing the plains would perform better and keep in better condition by allowing them to graze in the morning before commencing the day's march which involves the necessity of making late starts and driving during the heat of the day the same persons have been of the opinion that animals will graze only at particular hours that the remainder of the day must be allowed them for rest and sleep and that unless these rules be observed they would not thrive this opinion is however erroneous as animals will in a few days adapt themselves to any circumstances so far as regards their hours of labor rest and refreshment if they have been accustomed to work at particular periods of the day and the order of things is suddenly reversed the working hours changed into hours of rest and vice versa they may not do as well for a short time but they will soon accustom themselves to the change and eat and rest as well as before by making early drives during the summer months the heat of the day is avoided whereas i repeat if allowed to graze before starting the march cannot commence until it grows warm when animals especially oxen will suffer greatly from the heat of the sun and will not do as well as when the other plan is pursued oxen upon a long journey will sometimes wear down their hoofs and become lame when this occurs a thick piece of rawhide wrapped around the foot and tied firmly to the leg will obviate the difficulty provided the weather is not wet for if so the shoe soon wears out mexican and indian horses and mules will make long journeys without being shod as their hoofs are tough and elastic and wear away very gradually they will however in time become very smooth making it difficult for them to travel upon grass a train of wagons should always be kept closed upon a march and if as often happens a particular wagon gets out of order and is obliged to halt it should be turned out of the road to let the others pass while the injury is being repaired as soon as the broken wagon is in order it should fall into the line wherever it happens to be in the event of a wagon breaking down so as to require important repairs men should be immediately dispatched with the necessary tools and materials which should be placed in the train where they can readily be got at and a guard should be left to escort the wagon to camp after having been repaired if however the damage be so serious as to require any great length of time to repair it the load should be transferred to other wagons so that the team which is left behind will be able to travel rapidly and overtake the train if the broken wagon is a poor one and there be abundance of better ones the accident being such as to involve much delay for its repair it may be wise to abandon it taking from it such parts as may possibly be wanting in repairing other wagons advance and rear guards a few men well mounted should constitute the advance and rear guards for each train of wagons passing through the indian country their duty will be to keep a vigilant lookout in all directions and to reconnoitre places where indians would be likely to lie in ambush should hostile indians be discovered the facts should be at once reported to the commander who if he anticipates an attack will rapidly form his wagons into a circle or corral with the animals toward the centre and the men on the inside with their arms in readiness to repel an attack from without if these arrangements be properly attended to few parties of indians will venture to make an attack as they are well aware that some of their warriors might pay with their lives the forfeit of such indiscretion i know an instance where one resolute man pursued for several days by a large party of comanches on the santa fe trace defended himself by dismounting and pointing his rifle at the foremost whenever they came near him which always had the effect of turning them back 
this was repeated so often that the indians finally abandoned the pursuit and left the traveller to pursue his journey without farther molestation during all this time he did not discharge his rifle had he done so he would doubtless have been killed End of chapter two part one